they're making a very flawed assumption that the response is going to be civil. It might not be. Welcome to an all-new episode of the McFuture Podcast, challenging the beliefs that run the world. I'm Steve Factor, and today I want to talk about something that's really dying, at least in my mind, which is wokeness. I'm going to focus on some of the more nuanced areas still left to explore. First, I want to talk about this guy, Andrew Tate, who appeared out of nowhere. He's kind of this grifter who shows off the lifestyle and the cars. I think he might've been a successful MMA fighter, which I'm not sure how much he got paid, but I don't think for those Maseratis were paid for by his fighting money. This guy says a lot of crazy misogynistic stuff that gets him a lot of viral attention on YouTube and all the social media platforms. Anyway, He was just banned off all those platforms. He didn't do anything illegal. He's just a dick. Uh, If being a dick is worthy of being tossed off platforms, we're all going to be dickless. I'll play a couple of clips, give you an idea of what we're talking about. The man who works in Starbucks, who's sad all the time, you won't reply to him. Neither will any other female. So for women to come along and pretend they give a about the fact that most most men are basically invisible. There is not a female on the planet who's invisible today. You can be a four, overweight, fat, you'll still go to the club and get attention. Now, if you look at the roles of society, I believe men are still doing their job, but I don't know if women are doing their job. Men are still out here building the modern world. But when they come home now, the girl's like, oh, why should I cook for you? Society has huge burdens on men. We're supposed to be smart. We're supposed to be rich, supposed to be interesting. Got to have jokes, got to have chat lines, right? Got to be charming, got to be cool, experiences, stories. We need to have a lot of shit to be an important man. To be a woman, you need makeup. I don't know what kind of bitch-ass dude is letting his chicks go to the club with her friends without him. No. You stay in the house. You don't go nowhere. You're not, no restaurants, no clubs, nothing. If my chick said, I want to do OnlyFans, I'm like, all right, then cool, go do it. How much you made? Ten grand? All right, give me eight. All right, cool. Why would, what woman is going to give you eight grand? You're my woman, you're doing OnlyFans, you're selling my product. What the fuck? Your products. Yes, correct. Next question. It's one thing to be a dick, and it's another thing to take it to the next level, which is exactly what Salon.com did. This was a tweet from the woman who wrote the article in Salon. If you're over 30, you're probably saying, Andrew who? But Andrew Tate isn't just a rancid misogynist who became an overnight superstar on TikTok. He's part of what I call the male insecurity to fascism pipeline. This paragraph kind of sums it up. Once in the door, the young male audiences aren't just hit with sexist content, but drawn into a larger world of far-right bigotry and in many cases, anti-democratic sentiment. McInnes's Proud Boys, who, by the way, they're completely unaffiliated. As far as I know, Andrew Tate and McInnes have nothing to do with each other. McInnes's Proud Boys ended up being the vanguard of the Capitol insurrection. Peterson was recently suspended from Twitter and demonetized on YouTube for saying gender transition is, quote, Nazi medical experiment level wrong. Let's pick this apart. Whatever you think of these guys... What's happening here is very typical of conspiratorial thinking, which is conflation, right? You you lump a bunch of loose affiliations together and say, well, here it is. And there is some truth to this. It is true. He's a misogynist. And 
There is a serious masculinity problem in this country. Men are lost, and that's why they're turning to people like Jordan Peterson, Proud Boys, even Antifa. The alphas maybe go in one direction and the betas go in the other direction. But it's not going to be solved by bludgeoning them <laughs> over the head with their failures or why they're toxic or any of the rhetoric that's out there on the left because these guys end up shooting something up or doing something crazy. I think we're in some Highlander-like battle where we're all just chum waiting to see who will be the last conspiracy-minded mush brain left on social media. As of now, I think her side is likelier to win because these other people are getting tossed off. Andrew Tate does not arise on his own. He is the byproduct of wokeness. You can't pump all of this weaponized meekness into the atmosphere and not expect toxic masculinity in the water supply. The stuff he says is idiotic, stupid, anti-woman, and all kinds of things. Would I ban him? No. I would want better ideas to defeat his ideas. And in a strange way, I would like to know who sides with this guy. I need to know their names and their Twitter handles. That's a person I would like to draw a big circle around and avoid. There is something helpful in allowing people like him to speak. And I think that once he appeared on other shows, he would get exposed just like uh, Milo Yiannopoulos did. Milo Yiannopoulos was just a troll and he's smart in some ways. But I remember hearing him on Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan over three hours really exposes people who've got no depth. About an hour in, he was already repeating all of these right-wing tropes. Sort of reminded me of Rush Limbaugh, who used to call feminist uh, feminazis. He thought it was funny, but it wasn't. It was just one of these dumb things that riles up dumb people. So like Andrew Dice Clay, hey, hickory dickory doc, this chick, you know, that, that sort of thing. These guys are, are idiots and they attract idiots. I don't know that society is going to change much by taking them off social media. In fact, I think it's going to change for the worse because it sets a bad precedent and the people you love. Like like won't necessarily get to stay on either. So it's a dangerous game to play. And maybe there's a simpler answer to all of this. And that's what Giannis Papas tweeted. He's a comedian. He said, Andrew Tate is Jordan Peterson for retards. <laughs> maybe that's all there is to it. There's a huge battle over Middle Earth. Everyone is upset about black trolls. I'm not talking about black guys who troll people on Twitter. Apparently there's a new Lord of the Rings series and people are upset that they cast black people as trolls or elves or whatever the hell's in. I wouldn't watch this in a million years. How old are you people? Are you old enough to have accounts? This should be for children, right? Like, isn't Tolkien for children? How are all these adults arguing over this stuff? Anyway, I wouldn't watch this in a million years, but okay, let's assume there are sentient adults who are watching children's shows and they're upset that they cast black characters because they didn't exist in the times of Middle Earth. When there were trolls, what are you talking about? What is wrong with people? And the same thing with Game of Thrones. They're like, oh, the Targaryens, or they were white, now they're black. 
listen, you've got a lot of time on your hands. The idea of either side, pro or con, pretending to care about black elves or casting of minorities in these shows when they can barely bring themselves to care about actual human black people who are on this earth that they step over on their way to Penn Station every day. The idea that someone would have an opinion on on what's good and what's bad is beyond me. It's crazy. I guess there's something to be said for a consistency to the source material or adhering to the source material. But I have a very simple philosophy on this kind of stuff. Wokeness and artistic merit absolutely can coexist if it's core to the story. However, when they're stuffing all this stuff into creative works, or the casting is just so obviously artificial. It looks forced and it looks like they're forcing ideology on you. And people don't want to feel like they're being spoken down to. And that's what's happening here. You degrade the art. People will notice that you're stuffing your agenda into a creative work. Now, if they can't tell that you put it in, then great. But in a lot of cases, people can sniff it out. Now, every once in a while, I'll see a commercial that has like a a black dad, a Chinese mom, and a Hispanic child. And your brain's not processing it because it just doesn't make any sense. It's not to say that the intention isn't good on some level, but the execution takes you completely out of whatever they're trying to sell you because now you're consumed with the incongruity. And that's what creative people can't afford to do. They can't afford to undermine your suspension of disbelief. And that's what's happening. It's compromising the art and it's creating opportunity for artists to create uncompromising art elsewhere, assuming they could get the financing and the distribution. Speaking of financing and distribution, this was the quote from Tim Cook. An analyst asked him if the service's socially responsible programming lens might be causing Apple to be hesitant about acquiring a studio. And this was his answer, quote, we don't make purely financial decisions about the content on Apple TV+. We try to find great content that has a reason for being. He said this on their quarterly earnings call. What he's saying is, I'm not managing this company purely for profit. I'm managing this for this agenda. Now, I don't believe that for a second because there is a point at which if you're compromising your revenues or profits for a political agenda, shareholders aren't going to put up with it. So I think Apple has done the math. The people they believe are their customers want what they're selling them or want to believe this about themselves. Apple makes most of its money from selling hardware and gadgets. Now, increasingly, they're selling services, but content is a very small percentage of their business, especially their proprietary content uh, like Apple TV. So they can afford to have values 
dominate in that business until it gets big enough and they can't, which is exactly what happened to Netflix. They were letting their woke employees rule the roost and protest Dave Chappelle. And at some point the company said, hey, we got to make money. So the CEO said, look, if you don't like it, we'll give you a buy-it offer. You can leave and work for someone that shares your values. But at the end of the day, they have to make money. That is the imperative of every corporation. So Apple... Once their moral stance is compromising revenues, they're going to have to do the same thing. Right now, content is a loss leader for them. Like milk and eggs priced at cost or sometimes even below just to get you through the door. And that's exactly what Apple TV might be doing as a strategy. I don't know. I don't don't have access to their books. But there's a general bland soullessness to their content. It's banal at best. I'm not even sure I pronounced that right, but it's something that has anal in it and starts with a B. So it's either banal or banal. With content like this coming out of these major platforms, someone will show up and hire edgier creators, or they will start creating it on their own. One entity with that kind of incentive is the new Daily Wire enterprise that they've built. I think they've raised close to a billion dollars to make this sort of conservative, free speech oriented content. And they're not going to get A or even B level Hollywood people because those people are afraid for their lives. and They'll never work in Hollywood again if they work with the Daily Wire. So right now they're getting the C and D listers. But at some point, if it becomes a viable economic model, more and more talent will start to move over that way. It's sort of how everything evolves. Oprah was doing lowbrow stuff in her early years and then slowly worked her way up to being this elevated uh, mother of all type figure. Same thing with Tony Robbins, same thing with with all these people. You start somewhere and then you work your way up and you get to assume a higher social strata and class uh, when you do. I think the same thing might happen with Daily Wire or it might not, who knows. But there are tons of edgier creators that will not fit in with this current system. Now, one movie that sort of was woke, but still, I guess because it was good, kind of passed under the radar. I would say under the radar is the biggest movie of all time, which is Top Gun Maverick. So Top Gun Maverick, I started watching. I didn't get all the way through because it's, it's, I don't know, to me, it's still a little cliched, but they stuffed a lot of woke and politically correct casting and storylines into the movie. But I guess the overall movie was good enough that people didn't protest or didn't notice. I think the same people who liked that movie would have hated it if it was less good. They also put the Taiwan flag on his uniform, which is very subtle, obviously. In fact, it was so subtle, they didn't even use the name of the enemy. Like They were just attacking the enemy. There was no country identified because no one can agree on who our enemies are anymore. On some level, it left me optimistic, cautiously optimistic, that you can combine high artistic quality. And again, it's debatable here if you like this kind of movie, that you can combine high artistic quality, elements of wokeness, and elements of not kowtowing to China in one film and still have it be successful. So maybe that's a sign of studios getting a little bit bolder with their content, but at the end of the day, they're not going to let some piddly creative work compromise their entire business or cast a shadow on them. So more likely they will err on the side of being conservative. And in general, The philosophy that underlies Apple's uh, 
corporate morality and all these other studios, I think is very flawed because it's based on this concept of allyship and that people need to be allies of historically underserved groups and therefore elevate them into higher positions because of their historical suffering. I think that's extremely inconsistent with human nature. The way that socialism is inconsistent with human nature, which is why capitalism is natural. Now, capitalism can also be very cruel. And that's why we've combined some safety nets and other sort of socialist institutions like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, to help buffer the cruelty of capitalism. And I think the same thing here, we're working with this false premise that somehow people are going to deeply care about people who are not in their immediate group. It's just not true. They'll talk a good game, but they're not giving up their positions to minority who's been historically oppressed. They're just not. They want to do everything they can up to the point where it inconveniences or hurts them. And that means doing very little of anything at all. So at the end of the day, I think we need to err on the side of empowering creators. And if you get a lot of great stories, a lot of great creators, and you leave it up to their judgment, who they put in, who they hire, who they work with, over time, it will even out and you will have tons of representation and you will have the equity that we seek, but it can't be in every specific project. It has to be a portfolio view. So we have to have a portfolio theory of representation. There are people with great stories in every group, in every community, but they have to be able to tell the story their way and in the way that feels natural and organic. But once you start stuffing everything in into every creative work, you're going to destroy it and you have to let the creators work. And the same thing applies to every industry, not just entertainment. You can't look at representation at every single company or every single industry because representation varies by geography. People's interests, preferences, abilities, just like you're not going to force a ton of women into the roofing or construction profession, you're probably not going to force a ton of men into nursing. There's just certain things that we don't gravitate to, no matter how much we try to force it on people. And that's okay, because as long as no one is artificially trying to hold people down and we treat each other fairly, what we're going to find at the end of all of this is fairness, is equity. And if we want some sort of preference, some sort of differential treatment, or if we want people to sacrifice of themselves for a group they're not in, there has to be reciprocity. People have to feel that there's something in it for them. Yes, there's a small fraction of people who are unconditional givers, but that's not the norm. Most people aren't that way. A lot of people pretend to be that way, but they're not. They're in it for themselves, they're in it for their families, for their extended community, whatever it is, but it's not for some stranger somewhere else. That's a very small fraction. I did a whole episode on reciprocity. Look it up. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. Anyway, Kathy Griffin is back off the 
F list? What list is she on? How far down the alphabet did she fall? She had a show called uh, Life on the C list or D list. After her stunt with the Trump beheading photo, she dropped several lists and she was basically canceled. I've watched some of her stand-up. It's amusing. It's not really jokey per se. She tells stories about celebrity gossip to a mostly gay audience, <laughs> and apparently I'm among them. So I enjoyed it. It's it's not bad. But she definitely got the Trump derangement syndrome bug. So she just tweeted, if you don't want a civil war, vote for Democrats in November. If you do want civil war, vote Republican. The people talking about civil war <laughs> are insane because one side has all the guns and the other side has nothing but picket signs and vegan sandwiches. It is not evenly matched. They're not going to fight. It's just not going to happen. But something else is happening. And it's really interesting. Let's look at this as a battle between alphas and betas. The betas, let's call them the woke group, they're not likely to have guns, go hunting, do all these traditionally masculine things. But they have a very strong political stance that they want to impose on the country, as the alphas do. The way they're doing it is by commandeering institutional power. The betas aren't going to confront you face to face. They're going to run to the principal and have the principal punish you. And they're making a very flawed assumption that the response to their commandeering of institutional power is going to be civil. It might not be. That's not how alphas respond. Alphas might just seek to conquer or destroy those very institutions that are imposing the force. They're not going to go cry to mommy or to a different principle. It's a very dangerous game, but it does not suggest violence. What it does suggest is the creation of competing technologies, competing companies, and even competing institutions to take down the old ones. Sometimes they'll challenge them and sometimes just undermine them. And in all of this, we might end up with a few really valuable things, but we're also going to end up with a lot of dysfunction. And most of the successful responses to wokeness have been very much of that ilk, which is building some new institution to take down the old or subverting or sabotaging the old one that's instituting force on the alphas. And I'll give you some examples. All of them are very well financed and very well thought out by opponents of, call it the woke ideology, which is much more beta oriented. So one example is Betsy DeVos weakening the Department of Education. And maybe just in general, the whole Bannon idea of dismantling the administrative state or the deep state, that's the idea to put people in who take away powers from the inside. Another guy who's been very successful is this guy, Corey DeAngelis, who works for a think tank, and he's been promoting school choice, which is essentially privatization. And there's some good things about privatization, but probably not in the way that's being promoted right now. He's been extremely successful, but that's also a deconstruction of schools, but just from a different direction. Christopher Rufo, another think tank guy, 
also extremely successful at marshalling all of these forces, both socially and in the legal system, especially in Florida, against critical race theory, which is being taught in a lot of schools, or at least its manifestation and philosophy is being taught. Been very successful and also well-financed. The Daily Wire is a whole new institution because there's so much distrust, especially on the right, of traditional media that leans left. They're creating their own Hollywood. They've got a billion dollars to work with. They're making movies. They're making children's programming. They have some of the top podcasts out there. They've got some of the top YouTube channels. This is becoming a legitimate media enterprise. And there's a bunch of these companies being created. There's another one called Rumble, which is a streaming service. We're just at the very beginning because you impose force by taking over existing institutions. New ones will arise. There's enough money out there. And even Trump fanning the distrust in elections and in media, some of it deserved, some of it not. But him doing that is a subversion of existing systems and institutions. All of these things are well thought out. They are the real response to wokeness. And I don't think people understand the extent to which this is bubbling beneath us. And only a handful of these things have been violent. I guess January 6th, Proud Boys, they had some scattered issues and fights and violence and protests. So it does pop up. It's not completely immune to violence. But under capitalism, it is going to be subversion and creation of alternatives. At the end of the day, you can't beat up a platform that kicked you off. You can't punch the school that teaches CRT or prioritizes minority students. You can't kick in the balls a corporation that has DEI initiatives and priorities. It doesn't make sense. What you'll end up doing is spurring competition. And competition is what will create a variety of things people can choose from. Maybe that variety is good. We like competition in this country, or at least sometimes we do. Or we create dysfunction. I guess it depends on the circumstance. Neither the woke nor the anti-woke path leads to unity. Because when something is obtuse, and I think wokeness is an obtuse ideology, the responses tend to be just as dumb, just as thick-headed. You can't take a bunch of good intentions, bad ideas, and hysteria, throw it in a blender, and then expect your farts not to smell. That's not the best analogy I've ever made, but I think you get the idea. I don't think either path is the answer because wokeness ultimately is an overcorrection for inequality and the cronyism that created it. And the only way to solve it is to get rid of the cronyism, to reinstate fairness and merit as our top priority. And we can argue that it's not just the woke side of things. It's also people who build buildings at Harvard, their grandkids getting into Harvard. All of that has to go. All the nepotism as well as the wokeness. Merit has to be the pinnacle of what we seek out in a great nation or any nation that aspires to be great. And we have to genuinely want to help people based on need, 
not on immutable characteristics that they can't control. Those are the things we need to be doing. And until we do, we're going to keep going into this dysfunctional gray zone. Let's talk about Blake Masters. I don't want to get into too much politics because honestly, I don't have very strong opinions on the candidates themselves or even politics in general. I'm, I'm turned off from it. But there are a couple of interesting ideas that have surfaced that I'd like to uh, talk about that are related to politics. So Blake Masters was responding to something that Joe Biden said. Right now, you can't go out and buy an automatic weapon. You can't go out and buy a cannon. And for those brave right-wing Americans who say it's all about keeping America, keeping America's independent and safe, if you want to fight against the country, you need an F-15. You need something a little more than a gun. Blake Masters, uh, who is running for the Senate in Arizona, he's kind of a pro-Trump Republican. He said, I think liberals always make fun of us when we say the Second Amendment is about fighting tyranny. You know, and Joe Biden earlier this year said, like, we got like F-16s and tanks, man. Like, what's your AR-15 going to do? And I don't think he realizes the twisted logic of that. It's, it's basically an implicit threat. And what are you, you going to do? Like, blow up the neighborhood? Like, you're not going to do that. And exactly. we've seen in Afghanistan, we've seen in Iraq, you've seen in all sorts of instances how, like, small-arm guerrilla resistance actually does prevent tyranny. Look at what happened in Afghanistan. These guys didn't have any heavy artillery, but they put up a very heavy resistance. People are getting all worked up online over it for two reasons. One is he's not saying, I want guns to defend myself against a criminal, nor do I want guns to go hunting, but I want guns in case I need to oppose a oppressive government. That's something most pro-gun people would probably agree with, but it's jarring to anti-gun people. They're finally admitting it. They're saying it. It's not for hunting. It's not for self-defense. It's for fighting the government. I think that was the original intention in the Constitution. I'm pro-gun. I am very much for waiting periods, reasonable restrictions, waiting till you're 21 or maybe even 25 before you can get a license. I'm for all these things. But I think there's some logical flaws in the anti-gun argument. I'll give you two statements that I think are in Congress, and maybe you can help me make sense of them. These are things I wrote, but they're, I think, fairly representing what is happening. The first is, the institution that neglected to save children in Uvalde and caused national riots for its brutality, that institution deserves monopoly power over protecting us. Think about the logic of that argument. We're saying this thing is failing in so many ways that it's not defending minorities, or worse, it's violent and unfair to minorities, that it's not saving children in dire circumstances. That institution deserves monopoly power over protecting us, that our own citizens should not have that power. I think that's a crazy thought, because if the institution was working great and you made that argument, then I'd be all for it, saying, yeah, what do we need our own guns if this thing is working perfectly? And the opposite would work, too, saying this thing is so corrupt and this is so poorly designed, maybe even unsalvageable, that we need guns. But the opposite 
does not make sense to me. And maybe you can help me out with that. Similarly, the entity that invaded and wrecked multiple foreign countries that never invaded us at a massive human and financial cost is the only one that can be trusted to defend us more than our own citizens. That is as crazy an idea because we're all arriving left and right at the reality that Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, were all huge mistakes. They did nothing for anybody. The people there, for us, they were just huge sucks of resources and human life. And yet, we're saying that the entity that caused those wars, that initiated those wars, is so just, is so good, is so righteous, is so effective, is so moral, that it deserves all the power to protect us? From what? What are they protecting us from? They're sending young men and women into battle to die on foreign lands that never attacked us. Our own citizens can't be trusted to defend us, but that entity can? It is beyond illogical. Beyond. And please give me good arguments, whether you have them or you find someone else who does, please send them my way because this is where I am right now. That doesn't mean I won't change my perspective, but I just don't get it. The paradox, the hypocrisy is just too thick for me to get through. And maybe you can help. Send me a machete. Actually, don't don't send me a machete because it probably won't get through the mail. The other thing I want to talk about briefly with Blake Masters is he's uh, sponsored by Peter Thiel, who is co-founder of PayPal. And, and Peter Thiel famously wrote a book in favor of monopolies. It was called Zero to One. Very interesting book. He's a very non-traditional thinker, worth reading whether you agree with him or not. And there's some very disturbing things about the... Theology, <laughs> Peter Theology. He's been quoted as saying, I no longer believe that freedom and democracy are compatible. The fate of our world may depend on a single person who uses the machinery of freedom to make the world safe for capitalism. And that guy is now sponsoring candidates like J.D. Vance and Blake Masters to go into government and guess what? Subvert the institution. And if we're to take him at his word, he wants to put them into office to use the machinery of freedom to make the world safe for capitalism. Capitalism is his top tier value. I've done a few clips. You can look them up on how the kind of people who seek high office are typically psychopaths, largely because their number one impulse is to have dominion over others. That's why I have such a huge distrust of people like Masters, J.D. Vance, and yes, Pete Buttigieg. These are all highly educated, very successful people who could have had huge corporate careers, who could have started companies, who could have done amazing things with their intellect. And yet they chose to go into this sewer of politics because they did. There is something in my view, deeply broken within them. 
that I don't trust. I do not trust it. I want to keep them as far away from power as humanly possible because there is something so disturbing to me about making dominion over others, power over others, your prime directive and your prime motive. That scares the living shit out of me and it should scare the living shit out of you. And whether they're rising up on the right or the left, I feel the same way about all of them. Take all their powers away, all of it, all their money, all their budgets, fewer people, decentralize it all because the people politics attracts are not the people we need in charge. It reminds me of Adam Carolla's quote where a bunch of guys are standing around and you go, which one of you wants to take these boys camping? The first guy goes, yeah, me, not you. You want it a little too bad. And you're not a dad. (laughs) None of these are your kids. It's just weird. And I don't trust you. And it's the same exact feeling here. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, share it with others. Sign up on patreon.com forward slash McFuture to support the show. And I will see you next week on the McFuture.